0: Welcome to Recovering Through Highness. We're the only podcast out there that promotes highness, but to remain high for the rest of our life is the only way to do it is to be clean and sober. We're a podcast that is trying to reach out to those that a lot of people think are unreachable and also give a voice to those that we have lost. Please join my podcast as we explore many different topics and and looking to really bring this thing public. I'm going to be having various different guests on this show. Also, want to get people to call in various different times. Which, if you would please send your email address to recoveryecosystem at gmail.com, I'd like to send out messages when we're ultimately going to be live. Again, please join my podcast. You may have read that I killed that motherfucker when I woke that early morning in 2002. That lifeless body that I saw was someone who was barely recognizable, but I knew him, or at least I thought I did. The beginning, it was the same as it was for most, but my story evolved each day where the difference between life, which was so fragile, and death stood side by side. Not considering anything beyond today because tomorrow never comes. And as Janis Joplin said, it's all one big fucking day, man. The story that I'm about to tell has never been told because a shroud of secretiveness tries to protect the guilty while the blame is spewed onto the innocent. Evil does exist as we explore the morally reprehensible an infliction of discomfort, repulsion, and harm. My hate for the world had altered my perception of reality and molded me into a deceitful, callous, and hostile individual who mastered the art of manipulation by using a charm for personal gain and personal pleasure. My disregard for right and wrong, lack of empathy, and failure to consider the negative consequences of my behavior, it made me dangerous. Love and fear, they were of no importance. Feelings were a hindrance in fulfilling my goal of survival. Day after day, week after week, and month after month, I had only one interest, and that was to remain in control and never back down to new opportunities. The tool, which I later realized as an illusion, was the apple from the tree, or the temptation and pure evil that we called shit, meth, or dope. That wasn't what I was actually addicted to, but it was instead adrenaline. And adrenaline was manipulated by the drug. Combine that with my nightly escapades of burglaries and the daily purchases in stores, where I acquired tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars of merchandise. I offer a warning to those that are easily offended. I'm going to bring you into the mind of an uncontrolled person, who would be your best friend today, but your worst enemy tomorrow. It's a world that may seem unreal, but as true as I can recall, These unheard stories are not designed to bring hate to the afflicted, but instead to remind us all that control by the individual is lost as Dr. Jekyll becomes the horror that is found in Mr. Hyde. That potion has thrown all of his integrity, values, and morals into the trash. And what you're left with is a starving menace who is seeking out the resources to maintain a habit that's truly believed to keep them alive. Nothing is above survival, and the mind becomes imprisoned in a nightmare with no escape. It was confidence, pleasure, intuitiveness, creativity, and lack of fear that got me started. But I could never imagine where it was gonna take me. Residential and commercial burglaries became the norm. And each night, I would break into houses that were many times occupied with sleeping tenants. I would slowly, quietly, and without fear I'd walk into home seeking information that I could use the next day. It was around 2 a.m. one morning when I saw an open garage with the door that was leading into the house open as well. I slowly walked by the house and could see that the lights were off, but I could hear snoring that was coming from inside. I walked inside, up the stairs, and I could see a lady's purse in the room that was lying on her nightstand right beside her head. Fear had no place. I walked next to the bed, I grabbed her purse, and I returned to a nearby townhome I was staying at. I took a single credit card and I left the cash because the purchasing power was way higher potentially than the $80 that was in her purse. Taking both could have resulted in the cancellation of her card. Now you may wonder why it mattered since I took the entire thing. Well, I didn't because I took the purse back. I placed it exactly where I'd found it on her nightstand right next to this sleeping woman. These types of activities, they caused an adrenaline that superseded the high that I received from the drug. And this is a glimpse of what my life was like. You know, it's important as a drug dealer to not remain in a place too long. And moving from one hotel to another was a frequent activity. This game that I played, this game of cat and mouse, hide and seek, this allowed me complete control to remain hidden so I could choose to reveal my location to those that seek. You know, money was no object in this catch-me-if-you-can life because the majority of things I needed that cash could buy, I could acquire through stolen credit cards, credit card numbers without the need for the actual card, and checks that I could print. The operation I had consisted of a computer, Photoshop to make IDs, which allowed me to be anybody, anybody I wanted. Laser printer with magnetic ink, credit card reader, writer and a very valuable piece of equipment where I could punch any credit card number onto a blank card. Manipulation was my art, and I mastered this. It is easy to manipulate if you know what is important to people because you can play on their agendas. Agendas allow inconsistencies, hypocrisy, and even being caught in lies if you remind them of what is important to them. Not knowing your target becomes trickier, although a simple go-to their emotions fear sadness guilt or regret can allow you an opportunity to mislead without needing proof or complete facts nothing is impossible if you're all in and confident in your ability to prove your argument through logical fallacies calling a retailer as a ceo of a made-up company and purchasing very expensive equipment with corporate checks of accounts that didn't even exist became a norm all you needed was a driver's license number that hadn't been flagged as a bad check writer allowed these transactions. Since the machines that scanned the magnetic ink on checks, they didn't actually verify the account. Places where employees were paid on commission allowed a certain amount of leniency and an impression of wealth by my character could help seal the deal. Personally picking up the items required the check and a form of identification, but the real high came from the end of the transaction When the worker would shake my hand, thank me for the business? No, thank you. I purchased large amounts of drugs with materials that I would get for my dealer instead of cash. I could spend days breaking apart Donald Trump's arguments, as they are manipulative, dishonest, and fallacious. But they work on people who buy into his agenda. Evangelical Christians have to pretend or to turn a blind eye to about 75-80% to of what he says or does because he is not a great example of what the Bible teaches as the way you're supposed to live. He's rude, he's dishonest, hateful, judgmental, angry, and above all, narcissistic. He doesn't attempt to correct people who claim that he is like the second coming of God. Trump worships money. This would be an idol. And if we were to look at that from just a logistical standpoint, What does the Bible say about money? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go to heaven. Trump worships money, and he's greedy, and he's defined that, and he's stated that, that greed is at the top of his list. In 2016, he boasted about his greediness as if it were a virtue. He said, I like money. I'm very greedy. I'm a greedy person. I shouldn't tell you that. I'm a greedy. I've always been greedy. I love money, right? And so he's ultimately bragging about his greed. And again, if you look at the Christian standpoint, what are the seven deadly sins? One of them is greed. Some Trump supporters are going to argue this. And if they truly believe that I am wrong, then you are an easy target of manipulation. Getting hotel rooms were a little trickier because checks are useless. And I wanted to make sure that the credit card I would be using wasn't run during my stay. So if a card was canceled for fraud while I'm in the room, I could obviously get a nice visit from law enforcement. My standards were high, sometimes, and I enjoyed staying in suites that were sometimes very expensive. This took planning, and I wanted to be able to get the room without the actual card and only the number. How is this done? Well, an appeal to emotions have been the most effective and useful argument, and this is how it would go. To give a little backstory. I would call and I would acquire the name of someone who was staying in the hotel in the past and use something that couldn't easily be verified, such as leaving something in the room to praise the hotel. I would go way out of my way, since this wasn't necessary, strictly for the thrill. Since I'm using the name of someone who has stayed at the hotel, I could not provide the same information they had on file because I may not have had it. So I would need to be another person that I was sending to the hotel. So here we
1: go. Hi. Thank you for calling. This is Kevin.
0: How can I help you? Hey, Kevin. My name is Peter Felicia. I I don't know if you remember me. You, You said Kevin, right? Yes, that is correct. Yeah, I believe we spoke two weeks ago when I was in Los Angeles, and I cannot tell you how appreciative I was for the outstanding service that you gave me. I would love to say that was me, but I just started this week. Oh, it must have been someone else. But, no, man, i got to tell you, I've had great experience with you guys. I left some really important things in my room, and you guys found it and stored it for me. And I got full trust in your hotel, which is why I'm calling.
1: I praise you guys and refer everybody who travels to Los Angeles to your fantastic hotel. Well, thank you, sir. That is good to hear, and it really gives me comfort knowing I work for a place that provides good service and trust in our customers. Oh, you really do. Oh, man, I'm so
0: I'm sorry I'm speaking so much, but my mind is all over the place. I'm in a horrible spot right now. I'm sorry to hear that. Is there anything we can do to help you? Yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping that you can. So, my wife passed away last week in a horrible car accident. My driver picked picked her up from the airport when she returned from New York, and they never made it home. They were both killed instantly they were hit hit by a truck driver. Oh my god, I'm sorry. I I have such a hard time talking about it.
1: I'm not married, but I can imagine losing someone that I was so deeply in love with, as it sounds like you were.
0: Yeah, we were high school sweethearts and had been married almost 25 years. So my nightmare continues, and I I received a call from my son's best friend, and they were visiting from Oklahoma. My son decided to pursue that quote-unquote California dream. He's always wanted to be an actor, and I tried to get him to understand that for most, it's a dream that results in waking up to a reality seen by most of being broke, homeless, and depressed, (laughs) because the entertainment industry is full of the worst judgmental, narcissistic assholes. Talent is seen by some, but the talent must be within your looks, which is why only a few become the success that they're looking for anyways apparently he was jumped out in Hollywood he was taken to the hospital and is currently at the police station he's all I have left and everything was taken his credit cards his money and I guess the only thing that he had left was his ID and I wanted to see if I could give you my credit card number so you could have it on file so apparently he's talking to his credit card company and they're sending him a card but it won't arrive until Tuesday And I I know this sounds really weird, but I would prefer that you not tell him that I spoke to you guys because he was so adamant that he wanted to do this on his own. He doesn't even know that his friend called me. And his friend is telling my son that he's calling his father to get a room, but doesn't want it to be charged and prefers to pay for it once he gets his credit card. He's really in that whole independence thing, and does that make sense to you?
1: Yes, I understand. The problem is that this doesn't accept credit cards over the phone. They have to be in possession upon check-on. No, I understand completely.
0: And your hotel is the only one that I even felt comfortable asking this question. It's kind of embarrassing. And I was really hoping that an exception could be made in this state of emergency. And I'd never ask of this in any other situation. And I'd be willing to pay extra once my son checks out if you'd like. I just want him to be safe and also allow him the freedom and feeling that he succeeded in his journey even if he doesn't make it
1: as an actor. I understand. I understand. Please let me put you on hold so I can ask the manager. That would be great. Please hold.
0: This whole story is a lie but I am attempting to win an argument, especially in the absence of factual evidence, and I'm appealing to pity to argue the need for my son, who doesn't really exist in this scenario, to be allowed to stay in a hotel by breaking a rule set by their policies because my wife, who also doesn't exist, was killed, and now my son was beaten up and lost everything. Nothing in my story offers any validity to allow someone to check in a hotel with a credit card over the phone and not run the car because the made-up person will pay on Tuesday. It's currently Friday and my last would stay until Monday when I would suddenly
1: disappear. Has this scenario worked? Let's find out. Hello sir? Yes? I spoke to my manager and explained your story as it happened. He is so sorry for your loss and could really empathize because his wife passed away last year. His son also has followed that dream and would really like to help you. You told me just to get your information, and I understand you stayed recently so I can find you in the system. We will also need your son's information and your credit card. We won't charge it, but just in case something happens, if he doesn't provide the card on Tuesday, we will charge your card.
0: Oh, thank you so much. Hey, do me a favor. Put him in the nicest suite that you have, and on Tuesday, charge him and the normal fee, and then charge my card for the difference. I want him to be comfortable because apparently, you know, he has been bruised up a bit and is sore. Yes, I could do that. What is your name and address? I'll give you my son's information, uh, my credit card and zip code, so it's safer from this getting
1: out because I know you're not always there. That sounds good. I agree. It's our secret. Let me put you on hold for a second while I help this customer. Yeah, no problem.
0: Did this actually work? Yes, it did. My tugging on their emotions caused them to lose track of any interest for actual facts. Now, since you and I can say anything, a great manipulator will need to back it up with a simple visual that will confirm the story as being factual. How's this done? I need some bruising, or a couple punches to the face will do. Wrap my arm in a sling, tear my shirt, ruffle my hair, create an Oklahoma driver's license with the name given by my father. And then I'll walk in with a limp, because I recently had the shit beaten out of me, and voila, I now have a beautiful suite for three nights paid for by the hotel that I'm staying at. So stay tuned now while I give you some historical background on Fallacies of Logic, The very famous individual who looked at this, and another very famous individual who practiced this. Adolf Hitler was a master of propaganda. And just a funny note on this, in 1990, Vanity Fair article stated that Mr. Trump's then-wife Ivana said her husband owned a copy of My New Order, which is a printed collection of Hitler's speeches. Marie Brenner, the article's author, wrote that Ivana Trump told her lawyer, Michael Kennedy, that from time to time her husband reads a book of Hitler's speeches, My New Order, order which he keeps in a cabinet by his bed and kennedy apparently guards a copy of this and it was hitler's speeches from his earliest days and it reveals his extraordinary ability as a master propagandist and asked by miss brenner about the claim and whether his cousin john walter had given him the book trump responded who told you that he went on to explain that it was his friend marty davis from paramount who gave him a copy of Mein Kampf and stated that he was a Jew. Mr. Davis told Vanity Fair, I did give him a book about Hitler, but it was my new order. Hitler's speech is not Mein Kampf. I thought he would find it interesting. I'm his friend, but I'm not Jewish. So to look at a manipulation in the story, so if Donald Trump reiterated the fact that he was a Jew, it would make it less important or damaging for him to own a copy of my new order. So there was a great Western philosopher, and I'm sure a lot of people have heard this name, Socrates. And Socrates taught people by playing ignorant. And he proposed an idea that to gain knowledge, we have to first understand that we lack knowledge, or in other words, are ignorant and can be learned by sets of questions in conversations with others. And this is what became known as the Socratic method. This is taught a lot in law school. The principle of the Socratic method is that students would learn through the use of critical thinking, reasoning, and logic. Now, this technique involves holes in stories, and then patching them up. And so, in law school specifically, a professor will ask a series of Socratic questions after having a student summarize a case, including relevant legal principles that are associated with the case. Now, professors often manipulate the facts or the legal principles associated with the case to demonstrate how the resolution of the case can change greatly if even one fact changes. Now, because I didn't define my knowledge as ignorant, I was in trouble. And my story in part one discusses my story as an example to educate many who don't understand the mindset, thoughts, decision-making, and ultimately brainwashed mind of someone who is depending on drugs. Dependency can be defined as a need for a substance, and without the substance, your body doesn't work the way it should. I mastered the art of manipulation. As I was being chased and I was watched by the Sheriff's Narcotics Task Force, I created a story that I had a wife who had cancer to induce an easier buy so I could create sadness and sorrow in people so they'd speed up the transactions. I was even able to avoid getting a speeding ticket by a police officer because I learned the ability to cry at will. With horror stories, and one of them was I created a story where my son was killed in a car accident about eight hours earlier, and I was able to sell the police officer on my immediate need to leave to keep him from running my license because my license was actually suspended. And it worked. Each story that I created was in such detail. Now, I want to tell a quick story. I had 11 years clean and sober. After my relapse, And I want to explain that I was working for a drug and alcohol treatment program. I had to figure out a way to keep my job after making that decision to use. Now, we talk about how we can ultimately manipulate other people. But the most dangerous and the most damaging is when we ultimately manipulate ourselves. After having 11 years clean and sober, I convinced myself That I'm older, I'm smarter, I can handle it. And it'll be different this time. Sadly, I was mistaken. But the reason I bring this up is I want to talk about a scenario in which I was able to manipulate my employer. And again, this is a drug and alcohol treatment program that I was not using drugs. When I use methamphetamine, I quickly lose weight. And I had to figure out a way to play that off. So I identified a scheme in which she was convinced that I was using. And the scheme that I used was to declare, and not for myself that I had a medical condition that was ultimately cancer. Now, I had to play a story where I created a doctor, and this doctor wrote a letter that he faxed, hypothetically, to my employer. In this letter, it stated that he did not want my employer to inform me that he had written this letter. This letter identified a prior job that I had lost, and because I was too proud to identify any of my medical information to my employer that this doctor was attempting to not allow me to lose my job. I created a fake voicemail message that informed the employer to call this doctor. So when this employer called this doctor and left a message, it just stated that this is Dr. so and so, please leave a message and My employer did leave a message. I then informed my employer that I had learned that this doctor had sent a message. And I was very upset about this with confidentiality. And the whole reason that I did this was not with any concern that I was going to lose my job. But I did not want this to affect the potential for me to get another job at another employer. This doctor story worked. It put enough skepticism or doubt in my employer's mind that I was using drugs. I used to think I should have been an actor as I learned these skills to express an outward image that wasn't anything close to my real self. Time became my enemy with drugs because it became harder to stay focused. My tolerance forced me to use more. I was an IV drug user, and I ultimately reached a place where I was injecting over an 8-ball a day, which equates to about 3.5 grams. Now, my intense adrenaline-seeking and the amount I was using became difficult to find veins, and on top of that, I had a very shaky hand, which forced me to miss or push through many of my veins. My mind was becoming foggy. And I was forgetting many details. And I was carrying less, which made it easier for the police to track my moves. Now, the common saying that we talk about in recovery is to live one day at a time. But that's how I lived when I was using. I lived one day at a time. I never thought about tomorrow. Ignorance and failure to consider anything beyond today was what nearly killed me. Drugs eventually destroyed all of those qualities that I had gained. Pleasure was gone. And dependency forced me to continue that if I wanted to be able to do anything... Nothing worked, even close to right, unless I was using the substance. So why am I telling you this? To promote another common saying and to lead me into what I'm ultimately want to talk about, which is you can't bullshit a bullshitter. While clean and sober today, I remember those abilities. I also remember the reasons for the manipulations, what to say to get what I want. Now, I'm not proud of anything that I did during that time, but I have transformed that knowledge into something that has helped me and it helps me to help others. I can read through people and I can truly understand logical fallacies from experiential knowledge. And I thought it would be good to look at some of this. So we're going to look at what a logical fallacy is to start with. And a logical fallacy is a flaw in reasoning. Logical fallacies are like tricks or illusions of thought. They're often used by politicians and the media to fool people. They're usually lumped in categories. And the first category that you have is you have what are called formal fallacies. And a formal fallacy is when a conclusion doesn't follow the premise and is also called a non sequitur or a conclusion having nothing to do with the initial claim. I see these arguments regularly by individuals in recovery. Logical fallacies, again, are used to manipulate, and sadly, they manipulate the ignorant or the uneducated individuals. And the first one I want to mention is what we call an appeal to probability. Now this is a statement that takes something for granted because it is probable or possible. The 12-step program states that if you don't get a sponsor, work the steps, or go to meetings, you're going to get loaded. So this is saying that the 12-step meetings, the sponsors, and the steps keep people sober. Therefore, you are going to get loaded if you do not do these things. And that's a an appeal to probability. Trump uses this. Trump uses this fallacy, and a few others, with single statements (laughs) that he makes. And sadly, as I've said, searches for the easily manipulated individuals to create some form of uprising a good example of this is that judge that was overseeing one of his cases and what he had said was this judge is giving unfair rulings now i say why well i want to i'm building a wall okay and it's a wall between mexico not another country and this is an example of an appeal to probability because he's basically saying that this judge even though he was born in indiana has a Mexican heritage, and because Trump is building this wall, that he is going to give unfair rulings because of his heritage, which is an example of appeal to probability. So the probability is that he's going to be unfair. Now, the reality being is that he may not be getting the rulings that he wants, but does that necessarily say that it's unfair? No. And so that's an appeal to probability. Another formal fallacy is what's called bad reasons fallacy. And I'm not necessarily going to give examples for each of these, but bad reasons fallacies is a conclusion that is assumed to be bad because... Because the arguments are bad. Another one is what's called a masked man fallacy, which is also known as the intentional fallacy, and this involves a substitution of parties. So if the two things that are interchanged are identical, then the argument is assumed to be valid. So normally what we're doing in terms of formal fallacies, so we have a conclusion, but it does not follow the premise and it ultimately has nothing to do with the claim. So the second set of fallacies are what are known as informal fallacies. And these are the ones that you see most often. So while a formal fallacy is identified through an examination of the statement or the claim, informal fallacies are identified through some supporting evidence. So, in these instances, the statement or the claim is not supported with adequate reasons for acceptance. And this is what we see most often. Politics is the epitome of this. So, before I go on, I want to make a clarification in the difference between what we're talking about here, which are logical fallacies, versus lying. They are different things here. So, we're not actually talking about the difference between somebody just making a completely fake statement or a false statement. But these are based on the concepts of reasoning to win an argument. So you, you, so debaters ultimately will use a lot of this f- fallacies of logic in terms of manipulating to get people to believe what they're trying to say based on distractions or things of that nature. So it is a difference between just saying, okay, this is just a lie. I know a lot of people out there, politics is really a big thing. And and I can honestly say that I have never seen anybody ever in my entire life and even in working in the substance abuse industry with all the people that I've worked with that have such fallacious fallacy arguments as Donald. Trump. And that's why he is so fascinating to me. What fascinates me the most is obviously all of the people that ultimately just buy into what he's saying, even though his arguments make absolutely no sense based on reasoning. And again, we have difference between lies and this. And I'll give you an example would be Trump's claim that the coronavirus, which is something we're all going through right now um, in terms of being locked down, that his statement was the coronavirus is a hoax that's presented by the democrats and that's a democratic hoax and it's being thrown around by the media and that it's not real now we know that that's a dishonest statement because number one is he's completely changed his tune on that and he's no longer claiming that so ultimately what he said was a dishonest lie but in a sense to manipulate people so as i had said Informal fallacies, which is what we're going to get into now, are the most common that we see among people. And there's a lot of different varieties of informal fallacies that can be broken down into subcategories. And so we're going to look at what these subcategories are. The first one is fallacies of presumption. Presumption of truth without evidence can cause fallacious reasoning. And the first one is what's called a complex question fallacy, which involves questionable assumptions. And I'm going to explain this one out of a brief, story that I had told in the book of pain, failure, and misery are the stepping stones to success. And so I had mentioned an adolescent in that story who had been, I guess we'll say, bullied by kids that were in his school. And these kids were calling him a school shooter. And the reason they were calling him this was because he had long hair and he wore Metallica shirts and things of that nature. And, and as this continued, he would repeatedly tell them to stop calling him this, but him doing doing that did not end them continuing to call him this. And it reached a point to where one of the individuals went up to this adolescent that I'm speaking of and said, when you shoot up the school, are you going to shoot me? Now, if you look at this questioning, this is what we would call a complex question fallacy. If he answers yes, then he's stating that, yes, I am shooting up the school. And if he says no, he's not disputing the fact that he's shooting up the school, but he just won't shoot her. And so, either way, there's a presumption of guilt that plays into that fallacy. So, that fallacy of complex question fallacy involves questionable assumptions. Now, I know this is sort of an irrelevant statement, but I took a break, and I'm coming back to this with a different mindset on what I want to actually do with this podcast. And I'm going to turn my direction Towards Donald Trump. And I know this is a difficult topic for a lot of people. I have no intention on trying to sway people away or towards Donald Trump. Uh, This is something that you cannot actually do, which is another reason why I think this is really interesting because part of my interest in doing the direction that I want to go into right now has to do with a lot of the Facebook posts that I've seen recently that are really going to fall into what the purpose of this podcast is as we look at different logical fallacies. And we're looking at reasoning. We're looking at common sense sometimes. We're looking at education. And people that post things that are completely inaccurate or manipulative in nature are looking for the people that lack knowledge and lack common sense. And I'll explain to you what I mean by this in a second. I want to also make mention that I'm not a Republican and I'm not a Democrat in the true sense because I agree with certain things of Republicans, I agree with certain things of Democrats, and I disagree with things in both parties. But what intrigues me the most is how much of our society really lacks any kind of interest in truthfulness or honesty. When you have an agenda, you will push honesty and truth aside to ultimately get what you want. In much of our society, it seems to be about being right versus doing what is right. It doesn't seem to play much into anybody's care for truthfulness or honesty. And this is where I wanted to go with this a little bit. And the reason I bring this up was I was looking at a Facebook post yesterday. And this is what it said. Now, I have no intention on standing up for Barack Obama in this argument or standing up for Trump, but I'm more interested in looking at facts. And what this article stated, and this to me is really interesting, but it stated that it wasn't until six months after H1N1 became a global pandemic that then-President Obama declared a public health emergency on what was already a pandemic. By that time, the disease had infected many Millions of Americans and more than 1,000 people had died in the United States. Now, we could question why this post is being thrown around on Facebook. And my assumption is going to be the fact that all of the Trump supporters want to make Trump look good because there has been a lot of criticism regarding the handling of the coronavirus by Donald Trump. And so I want to look at facts. And what is interesting to me is that when people post a lot of these things that are inaccurate or wrong or manipulated information, there's going to be people like me who will question this stuff. And I honestly look into everything that I see on Facebook. There's nothing I see on Facebook, and it could be, you know, pro-Democrat or pro-Republican, that I'm going to believe anything that I actually see, even when it comes to the media. You talk about CNN or MSN. SNBC or Fox. And I don't believe anything in relation to the political aspects because they are biased. Fox is biased and CNN is biased, but you will get a little bit more information, a little bit more accurate information on some of the websites versus others. And depending on the individuals that are actually talking, and I won't necessarily go into who I think is some of the most inaccurate because that's really irrelevant at this point too. But I wanted to talk a little bit about that post because I do think think it is very interesting. And this also was something that Trump had been promoting about how well he is handling this versus how Obama had handled the H1N1 virus. The first thing that I want to actually mention is to me, it's extremely irrelevant. We can sit there and we can blame or we can talk about past things that people have done. And I'm not really sure what the point of it is. Does that help us in this current predicament? With the coronavirus, I can't see any point behind it other than completely political. And so that's the first thing that you ultimately want to look at is why are these things being floated around? So now let's actually look at what the facts are. And this is what I actually find very interesting. And you can actually go to the CDC's website and you can find a timeline that outlines the events and the time frame that it happened. And so first of all, when you're floating something like this around and you want to ultimately use it as an argument to make a valid point, you want to make sure that it's not on a legitimate source to where you can validate this information. I'm just trying to help people to learn to lie a little bit better. So the H1N1 virus, it was originally the swine flu and it was really serious. And from April 12, 2009 to April 10th, 2010, there were 60.8 million cases of the swine flu, 274,304 hospitalizations, and there were 12,469 deaths. And this can be confirmed by the CDC. Now, Obama and his administration had issued two emergency declarations. But as I had mentioned earlier in what that statement was, was that then President Obama declared a public health emergency on what was already a pandemic. But he issued two emergency declarations. And that article only refers to one. Now, Obama acted before the pandemic was even declared. So Obama's acting director of Health and Human Services declared H1N1 a public health emergency on April 26th. 2009. That is weeks after this thing was discovered. And there was only 20 cases of H1N1. There were no deaths around the country that had been confirmed at the time that he declared a public health emergency. Two days later, the administration, they made an initial funding request for H1N1 to Congress. And there was eventually $7.65 billion that was allocated for a vaccine and other measures. The H1N1 was declared a pandemic by the World Health Organization Organization on June 11, 2009. So the Obama administration's public health emergency declaration came more than six weeks before the pandemic designation. Now this obviously is not identified in that article that was Posted on Facebook. Now, Obama did something else. So, on October 24th, 2009, which was six months after his administration declared the H1N1 a public health emergency, Obama declared it a national emergency. So, he defined two types of emergencies. And at that point, H1N1 had claimed more than a thousand American lives. Now, Trump declared the coronavirus a public health emergency on January 31st, 2020, which was prior to any deaths in the United States. But there's a couple of differences here. One was that the coronavirus is speculated to have originated in China, where the swine flu was actually originated in the United States. And so this was something that began here versus began In China. So there are some differences here. Another thing that I found interesting on these arguments is that there seems to be a blame to Obama for the deaths that ultimately occur. And I want to make a point here in looking at again back to logic. So Trump had actually made mention, and I think this really kind of works against what the ultimate argument in blaming Obama for this stuff is that he claimed that 35,000 die a year from the flu, and we're looking at this coronavirus as being in very small numbers. He was identifying it as being politicized by the Democrats, as being much bigger than it actually is, because again, 35,000 die in the United States of the flu. Now, I want to take you back to what the H1N1 is. The H1N1 is the flu. It's an influenza virus. And so if you want to look at numbers, and you're going to basically state that this isn't that big of a deal because we typically have 35 and maybe more thousand that die of the flu compared to this coronavirus, so it's not that big of a deal. Well, the H1N1 was a form of the influenza. The other difference being that the H1N1 was killing kids and younger people versus the older people. The theoretical belief on that is that the older and the elderly had been exposed at some point in time in their lifetime to a form of this H1N1 virus so their body was able to build an immunity to this, which is ultimately why it was killing younger people because they had not had an opportunity to be exposed to any of this stuff to build an immunity to it. So again, if we look at logic and we look at reasoning and we look at arguments, sometimes they work against you. Another example of something that works against Trump in this fashion was his continuous statements that the China virus, he kept referring it to the China virus and the China virus and the China virus to ultimately put blame on the Chinese. Well, what did the Chinese do? Well, they came back and blamed it on the United States. And they basically said, well, we think that it came from an American who traveled to China and and gave it to the Chinese. So now all of a sudden, you've got a little bit of doubt in your mind. I wonder if that's true. Do we know? No, we don't. And this is why sometimes it's so much better just to stay quiet, just to keep it with yourself. Because this is a lot of times what ultimately creates problems. You know, we look at these hosts and these things that come out and these declarations of dishonest and manipulated information to ultimately reach the uneducated and the easily manipulated individuals out there. So anybody that sees these articles of things of this nature and they post a thumbs up, you look like an idiot if you actually ultimately look into this information. And I'm trying to be a little bit blunt here because I hope that maybe if somebody listens to this and they can kind of go, okay, wait a minute, maybe I don't want to look like an idiot, so maybe I'll look into it. Maybe you'll give a thumbs up to it later if you find out that it's actually accurate. But don't be an idiot. Look into this. So we're going to come back to the logical fallacies. And I want to introduce everybody to one that Trump utilizes the most to reach the ignorant. And this is a a fallacy and it's called argument from authority. And I love this fallacy because this is the epitome of Trump. This is only a fallacy if the person does not have the authority that they need to make the claim that they are making, right? So if somebody actually has the authority and has the knowledge and has the understanding, then this is not a fallacy. But common criteria for identifying someone as authoritative are, The person has sufficient expertise in the matter in question. Does anybody wonder why Trump claims to know more than anybody about various different things? Trump understands the argument from authority. Trump is seeking the easily manipulated individuals to be able to do this. And I want to give you an idea. If people don't really know some of the things that he's claimed to know more about, these are what some of them are. I think nobody knows more about camp finance than I do because I'm the biggest contributor. I know more about people who get ratings than anybody. I know more about ISIS than the generals do. I understand social media. I understand the power of Twitter. I understand the power of Facebook maybe better than almost anybody based on my results, right? I know more about courts than any human being on earth. Who knows more about lawsuits than I do? I'm the king. I understand politicians better than anybody. Nobody knows the system better than me. Nobody knows more about trade than me. Nobody knows the system better than I do. Talking about the U.S. government system. I know more about renewables than any human being on earth regarding renewable energy. I think nobody knows more about taxes than I do. Maybe in the history of the world. I'm the king of debt. I'm great with debt. Nobody knows debt better than me. Not really sure why that's a great one. <laughs> I understand money better than anybody. Look, as a builder, nobody in the history of the country has ever known so much about infrastructure as Donald Trump. I know more about Cory than he knows about himself, talking about Senator Cory Booker. I think I know more about the other side than almost anybody, talking about Democrats. Nobody knows more about construction than I do. I think I know about it Better than the Federal Reserve, talking about the economy. Technology. Nobody knows more about technology than me. I know more about drones than anybody. I know about every form of safety that you can have. Having a drone fly overhead, and I think nobody knows much more about technology, this type of technology, certainly, than I do. So he has to continue to make sure that everybody thinks that he is an expert on everything. And because if he can be an expert, he's ultimately going to be an authority for those things, right? So other criteria for uh, for identifying someone as authoritative are the claim being made is within their area of expertise. Again, he's an expert. There's an adequate degree of agreement between other authorities. The authority is not significantly biased. The area of expertise is a legitimate discipline, and the authority must be identified. You know, I have no interest in politics, except for my curiosity, and I almost find it comical as I find humor in the statements of politicians who attempt to win arguments with no grounds in actual reasoning. A whole group of people that watched the impeachment hearings of Trump and convinced themselves that he was innocent or guilty based on your agenda and not facts since you weren't present when the phone call actually took place. Now, I was never attempting to identify any information I had about the situation because of my ignorance, but it was the discrepancies in different arguments that made it entertaining. The Republican Party, including Trump, kept making comments about the Democratic Party attempting to overturn an election by removing a president from office that was voted in by the people. Is this a good argument to discredit an impeachment? No. Impeachment in the Constitution does not state that you can only impeach a president who wasn't elected by the people. Since the president is elected by the people and for the people, then this clearly must be a manipulation to rile up the uninformed, uneducated, and easily manipulated. That is exactly what impeachment is. To remove a president that was elected by the people and for the people. So this is part one of A World That Lacks Reasoning. I am unable to disconnect my ability in finding discrepancies. So I decided to talk about this and open people's eyes to what a good argument is versus the arguments with holes in them. Our Vice President Pence was given a lot of criticism for not wearing a mask in the hospital. His response to me was very funny. He informed them that he gets tested all the time for the coronavirus and wanted to make sure that he could look people in the eyes and thank them for the work they do. Now, I understand that we call this effacement, but can anybody tell me how this argument doesn't hold up with the statement he made? Thank you for joining me in Recovering Through Highness. Please send me an email at recoveryecosystem@gmail.com, at gmail.com and I look forward to hearing from you.
1: Thanks.